Welcome back, all you weirdos, Krakoans, and all of you malfunctioning giant killer poets out there. It is time for another Weird Dose of X. I'm still Jason, reporting from my bunker here in the Ocean State, and I'm here with my West Coast buddy, Ruben. Hey, Ruben. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Condolences on your Mariners. Sorry about that. I, w- I was rooting for you after, after my Mets uh, didn't... Didn't even make that next round. I mean, you guys got to play. In- I'm out, dude. That's it. You're out. It's things are looking up. You guys did get to play in the postseason this year after uh, 20 years, something like that. God. You got a postseason yeah. home game. I mean, it was practically two home games given that it went 18 innings. So that counts as two. Yes. Maybe next year you'll score a, a run at home in the postseason. You know, it, little baby steps. We'll get there. Yeah. Well, I actually don't care that much about baseball. And then my <laughs> the team I do passionately bleed green for the Sounders lost after basically 13 years in the postseason, um, kind of setting a record on most consecutive postseason. So we kind of basically assumed it was just always going to happen. So it's like, okay, well, they're out, but the Mariners are in this time, right? So maybe this is some sort of, you know, cosmic alignment where if I'm not going to have postseason soccer to care about. Right. Some like, sort of conservation way. law, one in, one out. Yeah, yeah. On on the upside, at, at least the Dodgers lost. That's good. The Yan- if I mean, by the time this goes up, the Yankees may have been eliminated from the postseason. Knock on everything. That's going close. So, you know, got some 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 good things and bad things. Just just like with our acts event here. We've got some good books Ooh, nice. and we've got some less essential books. Uh, and as people may have noticed, uh, if they've created a spreadsheet like I have and have all the dates for all the Axe books coming up, we're nearing the end of our event here. So this past week, we had a flood of tie-ins, and we're not going to talk about all of them this week. We're going to bump some of those to next week, because next week, there's only one tie-in scheduled to come out. So we'll kind of spread the wealth a little bit. And the week after that is the final main event book, the, the Axe Judgment Day book. And the week after that is, of course, our Omega book, because you have to have an Omega a book after the end, otherwise people stop giving you money. And then our event is over. But, you know, Ruben seems to be doing having a good time with this. Are, are you enjoying our little conversations here, Ruben? Yeah, this enhances my reading of these books. Awesome. Same here. So I've I've twisted Ruben's arm and he's willing to continue doing this show afterwards. And we haven't decided exactly what that's going to look like. I mean, me and a microphone, him and a microphone, some kind of X-Men books, because I'm pretty sure Jim is still not interested in the X-Men. Maybe after the fall of X happens, this will all be thrown up in the air. But until then, at least going forward, Ruben and I are going to keep talking about the X-Men. So if you have some ideas what we should do, format, books you want us to look at, books you don't want us to look at, hey, let us know. We are, as always, on Twitter at WSMarvel, or just go to WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com and click the links there and tell us what you think we should do. We'll, we'll definitely read it. We won't necessarily do what you tell us to do, but we will definitely take it into account. So, Ruben, you ready to dive into our first book of the podcast? Yeah, let's just get all the books that don't matter out of the way. We're going to kind of ease into things. We're going to go with Wolverine. I mean, Wolverine is, I mean, the biggest X-Men character to like the general normie public, right? Yes. You might even not know that he's an X-Man, but they know Wolverine. Yes. This is Wolverine number 25, written by Ben Percy, art by Federico Vicentini. So this is a two-part story going on, right? Uh, they finally decided to bring back Solemn, who was maybe a cult hit back in X of Tens. At least some people who write on websites seem to really like him. I don't know about the general public. And he's this this mutant from Araco who uh, has like adamantium in his very skin, right? So 
Uh, Wolverine is the unstoppable force. You know, it can slash through anything. And Solemn's the immovable object. Nothing can slash through him. Hey, they're opposites. They they may emphasize that once or twice in this book too. Yeah. Uh, but now they've got they've got some mutual problems. So what what are their mutual problems, Ruben? Uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're being hunted by the Hellpride. Is that her that, name? That is right. Because back in X of Tens, they. They had to get these Muramasa swords because those swords were so important to the plot and then they weren't. But they had to get these swords and to do that, they went down to hell and they killed the hell bride's hell fiance and then they got the hell out of there. And uh, now that the hell, <laughs> now the hell bride uh, decided this is a good opportunity, what with the whole end of the world, to maybe get some revenge. So she's going after them. And Wolverine's problem is, hey, uh, I'm good at stabbing things. He's kind of the best there is at what he does. And he wants some help killing this progenitor. So maybe they're going to team up and try to take care of those two problems together. So they're heading out through the Arctic, through the snow and the ice and the elements. And when we left our intrepid explorers, the progenitor had used a hithro and never again seen power to create a golem of himself out of ice and snow. And send him kind of kind of towards our boys. So they're they're in this ice labyrinth. Uh, it is a, a nice labyrinth, but there's there's no David Bowie in evidence. I, I kept looking, you know, remind me of the babe. What babe? The babe with the power. Nobody there. But this is another test. The progenitor loves giving these tests. Uh, this labyrinth has a mirror surface, and you know Logan hates to see his reflection because he's so oh I'm so bad. And of mm-hmm. course, Solemn loves to see his reflection because Solemn's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprised they didn't decide to call him Nagal, Logan and Nagal. That would be so. I'm sure. And if I said that in the X Slack, they'd be all over it. But I, I did like the bit here where Solemn just can't help himself, and he steals Wolverine's Muramasa blade. Yes. Did you catch that bit? Yeah, yeah, I watched that. There's some stuff here that. So let me say this: the art is cool. It looks nice, but there's just some ridiculous things. There's they're skiing through this labyrinth without any poles, which I don't even know how you do that. And then <laughs> yeah, cross cross country with no poles. That's tough. Yeah, that's a little weird. And then there's like you said, the theft of the blade just for no reason, and then he just immediately gives it black. I mean, you're supposed to like be like, oh wow, he's so like delightful as a thief. I I don't know. I I don't. Yeah, I, I, for me, that was the highlight of this issue was going, being able to go back and see in the art. Oh yeah, he, it, Wolverine has a sword, and then a panel later, Wolverine has no swords, and Solomon yeah, has two swords. And you go, okay, I, you, you got me there. Okay, that was all right. And the rest of it is kind of silly. Uh, this Hellbride is going after them, but somehow, and for some reason, the progenitor catches up to her first and kills all her dudes and all her hellhounds and basically almost freezes her to death. I guess she's used to warmer places down there in hell, uh, but leaves her for dead. And then Logan and Solemn stumble upon her, and, and Solemn's like, hey, she's here to kill us. Yeah, let's take her out. This is a win for us. Let's just kill her. But of course, Logan sees a dame in trouble, and what is Logan going to do? Yeah, takes off his parka and puts it on her and starts a fire, and then... Yep, gonna warm her back up. It's it's you know take the uh, the thorn out of the uh, the lion's foot like the mouse does in the story, mm-hmm. and then when Solomon Wolverine have to fight uh, the progenitor's golem, the Hellbride shows up two minutes later. Apparently, she was she wasn't that cold. She did a little very fine with just a little bit of warmth. <laughs> helps him out, and now they're all pals. Yeah. And Solemn leaves with the Hellbride, and Wolverine gets the thumbs up from the Progenitor. Now, yeah. is Wolverine happy to get the thumbs up from the Progenitor? Oh, hooray, I pass. Yeah, because he hates himself. He's like, oh, no, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. 
I need to kill you because I'm not worthy. And even the little character turn with Saul just being like, oh, you've got nice eyes, Hellbride. I'm going to head to hell just because I, I I mean, I guess we've seen this character as kind of a philanderer before, but I'm like, seriously, <laughs> you were trying to kill her two seconds ago. Like and now you're off to go hook up with her in hell. Like it makes no sense to me. I'm glad that Solemn's not going to be hanging out on Krakoa going forward because a little bit of Solemn goes a long, long way. I, I think he's got a little bit of that uh, Mr. Sinister kind of panache, but we've already got one Sinister and that's plenty. We don't need any others. Maybe they'll be married when we see them next. Yeah, and perhaps uh, he was married to somebody on the Quiet Council, not the Quiet Council, the Iraqo Council, the Great Ring at some point. Uh, but then at the end, the progenitor just kind of disappears. The whole point is Wolverine wants to go and stab him to death with the sword. And then the progenitor says, hey, good work, buddy. You pass. I'm outie. And then Wolverine's going to show up back in the other books that actually kind of matter. Who, oh, well, so. these people that are with the progenitor? I, I recognize Sabretooth, but who's the, there's a woman. Well, Jean Grey and yeah. at Emma, maybe? Who do you think the blonde is? I don't know. If I see a, a a woman with that color hair, it's usually Emma Frost, but I don't think that's yeah, her. You don't have any real connection. Anyways, it's weird. I, it just really seems matter. like we're supposed to know who this character is because she's passing judgment and I don't. But it's okay. I don't care about Wolverine ever. <laughs> I think I've ranted about him before and I still... He's a cool idea for a character and it was, it was kind of fun when he went away for a while. We had old man Logan kind of change things up. But since they've brought him back even before the Krakoan era, they really don't seem to have a place for him, right? They've kind of replaced him in some ways with X-23 and Scout yes. or whatever we're calling him, the little one now. He uh, has like two character beats and they've yeah. been hitting them for 40 years at least. He's a huge, huge character. He is. I mean, he is the most well-known among the normie public of any X-Men character, bar none. I mean, Professor Xavier, Jean Grey, Scott, all of them are below Wolverine as far as just general recognition. So hopefully after they switch things up and they kind of play with these other toys for a while, somebody will come up with a pitch and say, hey, I have a great idea to do something new with Wolverine. And I look forward to that, but I haven't seen it yet. So uh, what would you give this, this inessential issue of Wolverine, Ruben? It's a six for me. And that's mostly because of the art. It's just boring to me. I just it's the very it. definition of a six. There's nothing like flawed about it as far as, oh, it doesn't make sense or I can't follow it or it's poorly written. It just It's just kind of there. It does a very generic Wolverine thing and then exits the stage. So six yep. out of 10 for me. Yep. Next up, continuing our parade of awesomeness, we have Axe Iron Fist. Uh, this one was essential. It definitely deserves the uh, Axe title, which... It is written by Melissa Wong, art by Michael... I'm going to go with Eeg, spelled Y-G, probably Michael Eeg, something like that. Uh, and so, Ruben, what is your familiarity with Lin Leia, Swordmaster slash Iron Fist slash Perfect at Everything? Not at all. I mean, you warned me this was just a cash grab to finish the story of this character. That's the thing. I was wrong. I thought this was a cash grab to finish the story. This is a cash grab to not finish the story. Okay. <laughs> oh, because so Lin Lei, he was the sword master. This is back. They're doing Agents of Atlas and trying to go after. I don't know if that was a play for uh, readers in Asia or Asian Americans, but it seemed to be a very specific market they were going after. Uh, that didn't work so well. So they took Lin Lea and they shattered his sword. And this happened in the, uh, the King in Black event of all things. That magic sword shattered and bits of it got stuck in his hands and forearms. Ouch. And then his miniseries, the Iron Fist miniseries, he gets rescued by that dragon, Sholao, 
who gives him the power of the Iron Fist. And then in that whole series, Lin Leia tries to merge his powers, try to control the Iron Fist and the Swordmaster. And the apotheosis of issue number five, he finally manages to have like both powers working together. But his dumb brother, we had never heard of before, tricked everybody into exiting through a portal from Kunlun. He went back through the portal to Kunlun and took over Kunlun, locked everybody out. So that's where we left it was, hey, our hero can use his powers, his self-actualized nicely, but his evil, nasty brother has taken over the mystical city of Kunlun. I will say the character design looks cool. So I'll give him props on that. It's a cool looking Iron Fist costume, but he seems like redundant with Shang-Chi as far as I can tell. Um, yeah, seems like I guess a very, so. very familiar storyline. And I, I don't know. Yeah. So you can see in that, that first splash page with him and Loki that he has kind of a green sword coming out of one, one forearm. Yeah. That's the sword. And that's, that's thing. to show us that he can actually use his powers now. That's what's going on. Yeah. So I don't think we need to go over this in too much detail, but uh, he and Loki end up teaming up together. There's a really cool splash page where Loki has met him on a plane and made all the other people disappear. We get a splash page of the progenitor outside the plane reaching for the plane, and that looks awesome. I mean, again, if you want some kind of poster, that's a cool poster. But again, that that doesn't look like any progenitor I've ever seen. It looks like generally celestial, and it has the correct number of eyes. Yeah, it's like Arishram. Arishram. I forgot how you say it, but basically the the main judge. But that's not who the progenitor is. So. Right. He was the one who was the thumbs up guy, thumbs yep. down guy to begin with, right? Yep. Exactly. Yep. So the other cool bit here is that Loki gets to be surprised because he thought he was just going to watch all these stupid humans get judged, but uh, no, he's he's on the docket as well, and he's getting judged. So he's kind of he's kind of in the same bucket as Linley and everybody else. They get sucked into a test. It's another vision, and they fight, fight, fight. And it turns out that at least in the vision, Lin Leia is not only Swordmaster and Iron Fist, but he's also worthy to pick up Mjolnir. And yeah, at the end, they've kind of worked together. He's gotten to beat up the dragon and take the heart of the dragon. And at the end, we're right where we began. Lin Leia gets the thumbs up, and his brother is still in charge of Kunlun. He gets the thumbs down because he's the baddie. And nothing has changed. What was that, Ruben? Loki gets the thumbs up as well. Yes, he does. Loki gets the thumbs up. So what did you think as a, as a brand new Lin Leia reader? Did, did he did he grab you? Are you now a big fan? Going to go read his whole backstory? No, I no. mean, this is clearly just to try to get a new fan base excited about this character. But um, so I don't see anything going forward advertised or solicited for him. I mean, clearly, uh, this writer, Melissa Wong, I'm sure would love to keep getting these reasons to you know get paid to write Lin Leia's story and yeah maybe that's not why why she's not writing an ending because hey if I don't write an ending they have to keep hiring me I don't know if it works like that but they made it to Korea right and he meets this character this oh yeah fox, the, something the, like that? the white fox white fox yeah. okay yeah and that right that's who he was he was working with when he his sword broke in the first place and started him down the path to become Iron Fist but yeah this is a I'm gonna give it a regular old five out of ten how about you really? <laughs> Yeah, that's probably fair. I don't think the art's quite as good as in Wolverine. And this to me felt like there was a bunch of stuff I should have read before this to understand what was going on. And there's not enough here to make me want to do that. There's not enough here to make me want to read the next bit of the story either. Yeah, as the saying goes, the the game is not worth the candle, not worth the effort. So those are our two kind of inessential books. Uh, things should be picking up because we're going to uh, our, our head of acts himself, Kieran Gillen, has written Death to Mutants number three. Uh, art by 
I believe it's Gui Villanova. And this has been a little while. This, uh, the book was slightly delayed from its original position of the event. It's been about a month. And uh, remember, if you remember last time out, we had uh, Sign the Mimator was kind of a, a main character in this book, which is very fun. She was chatting online with, with Sally, who got the, the thumbs down from her grandmother about poetry. Uh, and Sign was doing this while slaughtering mutants on Krakoa. So having a little, little chit-chat on one channel and just killing dudes on the other. Uh, Crow and the Deviants had announced, hey, we're actually basically mutants. We can use the portals. And Icarus got up on Cersei's magic little dais on the dais, rock me on the dais, and asked the progenitor to put an end to the Eternals. Kill the Eternals. Death to Eternals. Uh, don't worry about what it says on the title page. Death to Eternals. So now, this seems to take place solidly after Judgment Day number four, and basically concurrently with Judgment Day number five. Is that is that about where we want to pick up the story, Ruben? I think that's about right, yeah. It's right after the progenitor gives the world a thumbs down, and sort of in conjunction with the uh, second assault on him. Yep, so at the very beginning, we get kind of the catch-up where the machine that is Earth reminding us that it is the end of the world, not just death to mutants, not just death returnals, death, death to everybody. Uh, just in case someone out there is reading only this book, and I guess that person exists. Can you imagine just <laughs> maybe 20 years from now, this is out in a trade paperback of just these three issues, and somebody maybe hasn't even read The Eternals, hasn't read anything by Kieran Gillen, doesn't know from the event, reads just these three issues. That's got to be an experience. Yeah. If you're out there 20 years from now and you decided to look things up and, and stumble upon this podcast, hey. Read the rest get, of the event. Read, Read the rest of the event. Yeah, you know, give us. But first, <laughs> drop us an email. Go to you know, Weird Science Marvel Comics and and let us know what you think. Because I would love to hear from you. So we're there. Uh, we go to the Eternals. Star Fox talks to the other Eternals and says, "Hey, we can we can get past that whole protect Eternals thing if we just flip this switch and let the mutants kind of drive us like Mecha, which we've seen other places. But we get to see uh, Zoras." kind of object to it, which obviously he would. We get to see that attack. We get to see that it didn't go so well, which we've already seen. So we're just kind of seeing some things that we've seen before in like Judgment Day number five, but from the other point of view. So what what did you think of, of any of that? Repetitive. Repetitive? So the, these parts were just kind of boring to me. I didn't think it was that interesting. I have the same reaction that I do with most Kieran Gillen stories, decent dialogue, okay character moments. But, you know, I was not paying attention to this issue really at this part. I was just like, okay, whatever. The important part comes up when we see the resurrection engines of the Eternals because uh, all the Hex are dead at this point or are down, right? They're going to be restored. Uh, Icarus, we just saw get killed by the progenitor. And at this point, the resurrection engines themselves get blasted. I think this is part of the progenitor just shutting the whole machine down, right? We're just ending this thing. So Icarus does not get resurrected, but Sign does, kind of. It's implied that she's not totally complete, that she's not fully back to herself, but she is up and moving around, and she's going to be a big, big player going forward, which is kind of cool. So other than that, nothing really important in that first bit. This isn't the first time they've destroyed the resurrection engine. That was that's happened a couple of times, but um, it is always sort of bigger stakes to me once you do that because now you know the Eternals are mortal like everyone else. Yep, and 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 Sign is getting more and more fun all the time. I think she's one of my favorite characters. I don't think she's going to be hanging out on Krakoa anytime soon either, but I wouldn't mind seeing her pop up somewhere down the line as you know a special little 
little event thing. Yeah, uh, it's a definitely an interesting character design and one where you're like, well, who are the Eternals, right? Like I could see this being one that people remember. Mm-hmm. And she's, I mean, she's not just big and, and scary. She also, she wants to text with her friend, right? She knows things are going badly all over the earth, uh, trying to get Sally on whatever messaging service they're on, no response. And she kind of tries to justify, well, maybe she's just busy. Maybe the cell towers are down, but but she knows things are going bad and she knows her friend is probably dead. And we get reminded that sign is the hex of fire, which is both a metaphor for creativity and also very non-metaphorical, right? She can make with <laughs> Literally the fire. just does fire, yes. <laughs> right. So we've got an angry kind of off the reservation hex wandering around, the only hex still in existence, maybe the only hex will ever be in existence going forward because where are the others going to come from? Yeah. And she's, she's a wild card here. It would be pretty wild to me if this is like, at least for, you know, 10, 20 years, the death of Icarus, because he's been kind of the poster child of the Eternals. And as you said, he kind of blows up when the resurrection engine blows up. Yeah. And he was given kind of a dramatic ending, which makes you think he might not be around for a while. Like when you see Captain, you know, Captain America kind of just go out, out of nowhere, you're like, oh yeah, obviously he's coming back. You don't really kill off a character of that stature without a big dramatic speech. But I, I think Icarus isn't that big a character, and he kind of got his dramatic moment. Yeah. It's possible we won't see him for a while. He's big for the Eternals. I mean, he's been in every single series, and he was the Prime Eternal for a while. And basically, he's been like the point of view character, if you read any of the Eternals stories. True. Yeah. And if you go back to the beginning of the Kieran Gillen run on Eternals, he was the first one we met. We learned that he was an arrow. That was the, the very first Eternal uh, Gillen introduced us to, because that was really the first Eternals I had ever read. So Icarus is is my first eternal character. So Fastos has a, a plan going on now. He thinks that he can kind of get into the machine and kind of help the machine because the machine's trying to resist this command from Progenitor to just kill itself. He's, you know, the machine's got some sort of awareness, some sort of personality now. We've been really enjoying the machine's narration through all these Kieran Gillen books. Been lots of fun. And Fastos wants to help him out, kind of, and he travels to this uh, the same big hole, I think, that we saw in Lemuria way back when when uh, when they were building the Progenitor. Is it the same hole? Yeah. It is? yeah, yeah, he jumps in and allegedly it's in. a place where the, I guess, the fabric that leads to the control center is thin or something. I don't know. Yeah, this is a place where when the Celestials very, very early on decided, yeah, too many deviants, we're going to come down and, and stomp on a bunch of them. This was like a wound left from that attack. So it goes deep, deep into the earth, both physically and, you know, eternal metaphoric. So he can get down through some of the defenses. The machine itself helps him get past those defenses. And he finds his way basically to the heart of the machine. And it's like a race between him and the progenitor. The progenitor is trying to take over the entire machine so he can get past this resistance and say, okay, no, no, really, Earth, you got to blow yourself up. And I do like the resistance part because we kind of speculated that maybe like why couldn't the progenitor see the plan of the mutants right when they fake their death on Krakoa. This helps me rationalize my thought that, you know, well, the, the machine is resisting, right? Even though the progenitor told the machine to collapse. So not exactly explicit in here, but we do get, you know, proof that the machine was fighting back against the progenitor's destruct order. We could read that between the panels. Sure. And so uh, Fastos gets down all the way to the bottom. And this kind of surprised me. What does he find down there at the bottom? What What is the, the goal of his quest here? Basically, just to do a system reboot. <laughs> Same it's thing got, I do with my laptop, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, got, it's got a button like I used to have on my... Uh, 
you know, IBM compatible, you know, uh, XP uh, that was, you know, running like Windows 3.11. It's just got a button. Like things going bad, well, just push this button and it resets the entire machine that is Earth. Yeah. Hold it for 15 seconds or it doesn't actually work the right way. <laughs> right. Uh, I am curious. I would love to see like the meeting where this was decided, oh, we need to have this feature here just in case. But wh- why is that button there when we've been using it? I don't know. We just need a button there. I guess it was the Celestials who installed it when they built the whole thing. I don't know. But it does certainly make for a dramatic moment because the the machine that it is Earth gets to have its dramatic final speech about, oh, I've enjoyed being around. I've enjoyed having a personality. And this isn't going to kill the machine, but it's going to kind of reset it back to its like out-of-the-box state when it doesn't have this personality. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, it is kind of the death of the machine that entity. Yeah. And actually, you know, I've been critical of the voice of the machine. I thought it was kind of hokey at times and sort of annoyed me. But by this point, I have come to like it. And so this this kind of made me sad. I was like, oh, man. I mean, it's a good it's a good end, right? Because I don't think every other writer is going to want to write, you know, the sort of caddy machine. But yeah, it does feel like Kieran Gillen kind of, as they say, like putting away his toys, right? You kind of get you get control of a certain part of the Marvel Universe. He's been being the eternal guy for a while. You can mess some things around with it. You can make some changes that that maybe you want to continue going forward, but also you're going to mess around with some things and then you kind of put it back to its original state. And that's what he's doing here with the machine that is Earth. That's going to be associated, I think, very much just with, oh, that's that's a thing Kieran Gillen did. Yeah. And last thing I'll say, too, is kind of this is maybe outside the box, but I am like super into like reading about AI and how it works. You know, we're kind of on the cusp of the human apocalypse <laughs> with the technologies we're building and not being able to explain how they work. But this is basically similar to that, right? Like you reboot an AI and whatever it's developed independently is going to be gone because you have no idea the sequence of data it processed and how did it train to get to this kind of a personality. Ooh, that happens with the machine, yep, right? Stuff. The other cool thing that happens in this issue is an, an unexpected team-up. And it's a team-up that makes no sense, but then kind of makes perfect sense. So we've got this off-the-reservation Mimator just floundering around, and it goes to New York, where the mutants are hanging out after Krakoa's been destroyed. And it shows up, and of course, Exodus is hanging out there. Exodus is looking for somebody to fight. Exodus has killed Sign in the past. They kind of killed each other. And so uh, Exodus flies out to challenge it, and Sign is is not looking for a fight. Sign is looking to talk poetry, and actually quotes uh, some actual... 12th century French poetry to Exodus, which is right up his alley. I mean, you want to you want to get an Exodus's good side. 12th century French poetry is is the key to his heart, and yeah, they become best buds. Uh, I do think that's and- funny, right? Because for a plot device, right? Of course, he recognizes the poem, but you could quote me poetry from this era right now, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, sure. It means nothing to me, right? Like, <laughs> just because it's a poet, right, that's writing poetry during the time that I was alive does not mean I would recognize it at all. But oh. I guess that's his thing. Yeah, you're not Exodus. No, I'm not Exodus. Uh, that's true. So yeah, they decide that, uh, so science says, I am a sword that needs to be drawn forth. I need to be wielded by a knight of the round table. And again, right up Exodus's alley. He thinks he's a knight. He thinks he needs a sword. And this sword is going to be Sign the Mimator. And the poem they write together is going to be called La Mort de Celestial, which is, of course, a reference to the death of Arthur by Thomas Mallory. It's, you know, a King Arthur poem. And okay, he's so this got to work with you. You are Exodus because I'm just like, I, I did not get that reference at all. 
that was that was a book we all had to read in high school. Okay, not me. My education, I guess, was it, very. My, my senior in high school was all about King Arthur. The school play was Camelot. The book okay. we all read was La Mort d'Arthur by Thomas Mallory. We all went okay. to Medieval Times in there in, in uh, northern New Jersey and watched okay. the knights to stab at each other. In fact, since that day, I believe to this very day, my school, Clifton High School, northern New Jersey, fighting Mustangs, is banned from Medieval Times because <laughs> we were too rowdy for the joust. Oh my God. All right. Tell me about this. What is rowdy at a joust? What, just yelling too loud or what? I, I believe there was some flying food. It was, it kind of got out of hand. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's why I know about La Mort d'Arthur by Thomas Mallory. Yeah. So yeah, this is going to be what's coming. So what's come out of this book? Because our our three issue book has finished. We've reset the machine that is Earth, which is going to again only just buy some more time for that strike force to do its thing. And we have another team heading out to maybe support the strike team. Maybe if the strike team fails, these guys can be the final attack on the Celestial. It's going to be our friends sign the Mimator and Exodus himself. And they're out there. And I am I'm excited to see what happens next when this finally goes forward. Yeah, me too. And it picked it up. You know, I was kind of like, oh, we're retreading a lot of the stuff at the beginning. The art's okay, but probably the the second half of that story made me think, oh, this is actually worth reading. And you know, there's some sad character deaths. So for me, this is a seven five. Yeah, I'm I'm higher than that. I'm uh I'm like an eight point five. I really oh, nice. enjoy these things, and I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah. I think this was a really good book. Not the best book of the week, but still a really good book. Yeah, I was definitely happy to read it for sure. And this would be on my essential list. Like, if you're gonna say like read the core story and something, I think you got to read the Death to the Mutants three part. Absolutely, and also this kind of seems to probably wrap up Kieran Gillen's Eternals opus, right? He wrote the that volume of Eternals plus a couple of those extra one-shot tie-ins. He's writing this the whole event is about the Eternals, but it doesn't have the same feel, the same narration, right? Because that, that first Eternals number one started with the machine that is Earth talking to us, the reader, in that in that uh, personality voice. And this book ends with that personality going away. So I think it really is, of as a whole, as a whole work, this is the end of, of, of Kieran Gillen's thing there, which I'm sad to see end, but I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it way more than I ever expected to enjoy anything related to Eternals. Yeah, right on. I, I definitely think that I'm with you, that that series in general made me an Eternals fan. I watched the movie and I was like, this is terrible. How did it ever get greenlit for a movie? And then I was, I don't know why, maybe just sort of morbid curiosity. I was like, okay, well, let me see if the comic's any better. And so his his comic was my first touch with that. I was like, oh, this is actually a pretty cool, interesting little storyline. And I'm always a fan when you take lesser known characters because you really can do anything with them. Nobody's going to be really upset if you're like, you know, bending the continuity with them. So yeah, I, I had no idea how cool. those sales went. I can't imagine that his Eternals book was, you know, a top of the list bestseller, but I think it's the kind of thing that, that may have some legs and maybe something that people, you know, go back to over the years and say, Hey, this, this is a cool little thing. If you haven't read this, check it out. Yeah. If they get another chance, I assume some future writers will reference some of his plot beats, which I always think that's a indicator of a kind of a classic run when you do something that, you know, will be referenced in future writing. For sure. So on to our next book, which is another really darn good book. 
not to spoil my score at all, but it's it, it's really good. Uh, this is Immortal X-Men number seven, also by Kieran Gillen, art by Lucas Wernick. And the title page here, just to get the negatives out of the way first, very small negatives. The title page says, this takes place after the events of Judgment Day number five, which is not correct. The issue starts during Judgment Day number four. I mean, the very first scene that we see yeah. is during Judgment Day number four, so it can't be after Judgment Day number five, and yeah. it basically runs concurrently with number five, and maybe that, that last scene takes place after number five, but not the rest of it. So, hey, editors, read the darn books. Come on. Yeah, the editors have been struggling with the timeline of this event, which is interesting. I mean, I've been struggling a little bit too, but- you know, I'm I'm just some dude with a microphone, and if I, I can figure it out, I'm sure an editor could write to Kieran Gill, and I would love to write to Kieran Gill and say, hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, KG, can you send me that document I know you have that is just a timeline of all the big events and what order they go in? I'm sure the editors have this, so I've had to build my own. But so this issue, as we know, uh, Immortal always has one key character that we follow, and this is the Nightcrawler issue. And it's also a for real Judgment Day tie-in, very, very completely tightly tied in with that continuity and that story. And I'm going to say this is probably the best Nightcrawler story I've ever read. Yeah, I have to say, Damn I have the to Nightcrawler say, story. correct, yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I like my size superior, but, you know, this is way better than the character we get in Legion, right? Yeah, Way of X was a really good story. I like that a lot. Legion, I'm, I'm still I'm still catching up on Legion, so I don't have an opinion on that yet. But yeah, as far as like one super solid issue that tells you who Nightcrawler is and why he's great and why we should love him, yep. this is that issue. And again, you can't just read this issue on its own because it's so tightly connected to the event. But if you've been reading the event, this is a must-read issue. Yeah. And I, I think I was saying this in the Slack. For me, in even last week, right, I was saying I'm kind of ready for this event to be over. I read this issue and I was like, oh, actually, there are still story beats to be told, right? Like plot twists that are interesting that bring up new new elements. And that's great, right? To have something so late in an event feel like, whoa, like there were page turns where I was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and it has that, that great feeling where things happen that are both surprising, but also completely satisfying. Like, oh, it's not a surprise like that wouldn't happen. It's a surprise like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. That makes a lot of sense. And also the art is gorgeous. Lucas Wernick is doing some amazing work in this book. And I just I just love looking at these pictures. It's it's interesting because it's not a book that the artist can really indulge himself on. We don't have a lot of splash pages. I think we have one single page splash because there's so much story that needs to happen. We need lots of dialogue, lots of panels, but he still manages to make those panels be completely gorgeous. So yeah, we start off at the Quiet Council. Magneto is dead. So well, not everything's great, but this is a period where Nightcrawler, our optimist, thinks things thinks that things are looking up, right? The Eternals <laughs> are now under new mutant-friendly management. Yeah. Eros, uh, Star Fox is in charge. Eros is making his big speech at this moment, and Nightcrawler thinks the world is going to pass the progenitor's test. We haven't had our big judgment yet, because we're in judgment day number four, uh, and Nightcrawler thinks, yeah, we're, we're going to pass here. Charles wants to make a bet on that. He wants to take the under, although not not clear how he's going to collect on this. But you know, Shaw will worry about it later. Completely consistent with his character, as seen in Immortal here. And this is great for the character, but also plants the seed that continues, where Nightcrawler starts to doubt whether Earth really deserves to pass. Yeah. Right? If people are betting on things like Judgment Day, maybe maybe we're not so great. Yeah, and he's. I mean. We always are told he's a religious character, right? And this is a great demonstration of him being conflicted, right? Like his faith makes him believe that he should always 
think that humanity has value and is worth redeeming. But things happen that just make him so angry that he like like anybody, right? Any religious person is not perfect at every moment. They get angry just like anyone else. Yeah, and I it's, appreciate it's it the problem being of evil, right? It's you know, if if God is so great, why do all these bad things happen? Why is Shaw such a jerk? Uh yeah, and I like it because too often religious characters are given like they say something that's just like a very trite reference to their religion and then it doesn't affect the story. Yeah. Where this is, it shows how his faith and his philosophy really ties in with what he does and why he is who he is. So I thought that was tremendously well done. We also have Destiny here at the table, and she's got a mask on, but we we can imagine what her face looks like because we know she's terrified. Yeah. And if the precog is terrified, that's not a great sign. <laughs> yeah. If she knows the future and she's like, oh my God, nothing nothing will work. That's that's not great. And the art here plays well, right, with the clenched fists. Certainly hard to show emotion with her, but we kind of get a bit of a quiver, right? It looks Yeah, we get the the fist and just her posture, her face kind of hanging down, which gets some emotion out of that that implacable mask. So great work there. So Nightcrawler does a thing that we've kind of seen her do before, right? With Lost and Fabian Cortez back in Way of X number five. Uh and so he grabs Destiny who he calls her his evil stepmom and teleports her up, 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 up and says, hey, you got to tell me what you know or I'm going to let you splat. And was he ever really going to do that? I mean, probably not. And of course, <laughs> Destiny knows this because she can see the future, but yeah. only probably. Yeah. So Nightcrawler gets them safe on the ground again. I'm not quite sure how the physics of that work, but don't worry about it. Uh, and convinces her, hey, I just, you just had to rely on my mutant gift to save you. But now all of Krakoa is relying on you, Destiny, to save us. And that works. I like that. I mean, it plays out nicely in the art and the action. It it takes this conversation and gives it some action, which is what you want out of a comic book, a superhero comic. And she's, she's still reluctant, but it's okay to go along. And she says she has some plan. We don't get to hear the plan, but she tells Nightcrawler this plan that is the only plan that has to be followed to even give us a chance. Yeah, Very, you had those questions about this too, right? You were like, at what point did they decide to, you know, make a move with with uh, Steve Rogers and get him? When we court? were reading Judgment Day number five, I was asking about oh, where where this plan come from, who knows it, who was informed, what, when, and this book gives us the answers I wanted to get, which is nice. Uh, and we don't hear the plan. Uh, it is again, like I say, reminiscent of Doctor Strange and Avengers Endgame, right? Where she sees the future, none of them look good, but there's like one slight possibility. So now we see uh, Nightcrawler go to approach Captain America. He's he's part of this plan. And this is, again, a scene we've seen before, but this really adds information and texture to it. Uh, we get a, one of the better info pages, uh, which is a flyer that Nightcrawler picks up from the ground right where right the progenitor has just murdered all these protesters to death. And we see this very crude-looking black-and-white poster handout uh trying to get humans kind of whooped up against the mutants yep from and orcus. it's made by orcus what did you think of this this page here pretty terrifying i've seen this kind of like propaganda like in a city right how to hate this right and it's always cowards that are posting this stuff you never you know see them doing it out in public but yeah yeah I mean, it's always all over the map too like like some you know far what this way far that way some positions you can't even assign like is that left or right it's just kind of crazy but it has the same aesthetic it looks it looks right 
Yeah. But the bottom says, it's not too late, get orchestrated, and has the logo of Orcus, which I'm not sure what we're supposed to think of this. Right? I think of it's they're out of the shadows, right? They've been kind of a shadow organization until now, and apparently they're they're getting bold. So just like uh, Shaw wants to profit from this potential end of the world, Orcus is thinking, well, if we don't all die, let's use this to kind of you know further our case against the mutants. And I'm not sure how much this is put there for us, the readers, to know it's from Orcus, or how much it is Orcus like making themselves known to the general public. So I'll be curious to see if that continues. One, the, the one line books. on this flyer that I thought like wow was the you know the idea that mutants are prejudiced against against is laughable now. It's like wow, <laughs> it's like very anti-racist thing, right? Like you know you could th- you could instead of saying mutants, right? You could say like. If this was just any minority, and this would be like a total white power flyer, yeah, it's 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 scary. I, I'm curious if uh, the artist or Gillen had reference materials. If they went out and collected this, you know, this flyer, that flyer, and used them to kind of gauge, you know, guide them, because it it looks it looks legit. Yeah, very legit. So Nightcrawler approaches Cap and and gives him the plan and says, "Hey, the best plan is to kill the Celestial." We've also got a, a plan B. Uh, so uh, Nightcrawler starts teleporting Cap, you know, bam, 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 along the way. And also along the way, he takes a blood sample from him. So that's what they're going to use to resurrect him. Another question we had, which, when do you bring him back? Yep. So we do get very specifically told he is getting at least the blood sample, the DNA, yep. you know, during this travel. And I guess this is also when he's being backed up by Cerebro on the fly. Yep. They don't I don't think they say that specifically. We do find out that Xavier can do this with a Nightcrawler with Kurt on the fly. Yep. So we we can say that yeah, this must be one that happens too. Yep. Yep. So they get there, they we, we see that scene again very very quickly. We're in fast forward here because we've seen the scene a couple times, which is fine. Uh they confront the progenitor, Kurt and Cap get blasted away by the progenitor, and we see Kurt hatch again in New York. And we get some more information about this resurrection. It's it's different because now we know that Kurt, at least, is being continuously backed up, so he doesn't forget anything. We can't waste time catching him up. On, you know, here's you know here's the what you what you missed since last time. So he needs to be moving as soon as he gets going. So he remembers what it was like to be killed by the progenitor, which yeah. is pretty brutal. Yeah. And this is going to be a running theme going forward because this is not the only time Kurt is hatching here. And we see this plan get set up uh, on Krakoa. This is, again, Destiny's plan. And the plan is to abandon Krakoa, but leave enough mutants behind so that the progenitor thinks, oh, the mutant threat is over. So they need volunteers. And this is this is a creepy scene where they're asking people to volunteer to stay yeah. And put on this play of being killed. I mean, they're actually going to be killed, but they need to be seen to be killed. Yeah. How do you think of that scene? Really sad. And I I haven't really had much of an opinion of Egg slash Gold Balls, but it also felt bad for him, right? Because he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be killed, right? Can yeah, I just they say that guys? according to Destiny's plan, one of the five needs to stay behind to like really sell it, right? If all the important, most important five aren't there... I guess that means the progenitor is not going to not going to buy it. So Egg draws the short straw here because he can do his part ahead of time. He can just lay a bunch. Of, do we say lay eggs? I don't know. He creates all these eggs ahead of time so that the other four of the five can continue to do the resurrection thing without him, at least temporarily. He asks, why is it or always me who has to die? And I tried to look up other times he died in the past, but I 
I couldn't find any. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think about he there? was killed by um oh my gosh, who was that? The the eternal character that Oh, the first Eternal him. Raid? Yeah, yeah. I think he died during that moment. Ah, okay. Okay. That makes sense. I d I didn't notice that, but that makes sense. I, I was only looking for his past up to the Cohen yeah. era. I thought maybe it was there, but that's that Maybe King in Black. I remember some people got killed. I don't remember if they got all the five out into their safe location during King in Black. But a- anyways, I'm no, assuming I, that died. makes sense. And uh, Sinister makes a pretty funny joke about having to break a few eggs. I chuckled. Kurt did not chuckle. He got all uh, all angry about that. Uh, have a sense of humor there, Kurt. Come on. Uh, and for some reason, Mystique and Destiny have to stay behind too. Uh, and we see them and the rest of Left Behind Krakoa die again, just like we saw in Justice Day. Uh, Judgment Day number five, we saw the same kind of silhouette of Mystique and Destiny clutching each other as the whole island was immolated. And we see that again, but we, now we know more of the why and the plan, which I don't mind the repetition when it's like, oh, now I understand. I thought that was really well done. And that Oxbox did that really well, right? You can show a scene and then elaborate on it as long as what you're doing is giving new elements that help you reinterpret the scene that you saw. Yep, absolutely. That that scene I'm thinking of where Moira's mind is being read by Professor X right at the beginning, and that we don't find out until later what he learned there and why he was so taken yeah. by it. Yep. And again, here, a scene that was already very emotional the first time we saw it, now is even more so. So fantastic. We get a one-page funny little sinister scene. So Ruben, what do you think is going on in this scene with Mr. Sinister yeah, and the this giant is interesting. tortoise? Yeah, so basically he heads back to his secret lair, uh, and he's got a tortoise that I guess is how he's been uploading information about Judgment Day for his you know, rebooted past selves to try to improve on how they handle the situation. And so he walks up to the tortoise and tries to upload what he knows about Judgment Day during this time, and it just doesn't work. And he tries a whole bunch of this times. This cool image of this giant, super giant tortoise saying, upload failed. Upload failed. Upload yeah. failed. And I mean, we've all had that the computer problem, but it, it, it looks much cooler when it is a giant tortoise, which is something Sinister would very much do. So it, it fits with his character. Yeah. And then what he, does he tries to, do next? try to reboot. Yeah, he tries to reboot without the upload because he really thinks this is the time that they're just going to get wiped out, right? Pulls out a gun, takes a shot, like tries to take a shot and the gun just doesn't work. Yeah, we've got a, a great three-page little, uh, three-panel little sequence, which he fires, click. He kind of looks surprised, click, 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 click. And he just goes, really? Which is wonderful characterization. And we know that Sinister has been doing this a lot. Like, even during Judgment Day, he's been resetting things. We learned about that in, I think it was the Destiny issue of Immortal, where we kind of saw her looking at all these timelines. And some of them were, were Sinister-related. Yeah. So... I'm really curious what's going on here. What yeah, is, is preventing you from doing it this time? Yeah. There's a couple I mean, it's, possible it's theories. It's either the progenitor, but I don't think that's what they're saying. Um, and what I was speculating is that, you know, we've seen in the past that Sinister's own worst enemy, <laughs> in a way, is himself. Because his clones are not, like, subservient to him, right? Like, each clone has its own Hellions, ambitions. In yep. Immortal, all over the place. Yeah. So I, my guess is there's probably some version of him that just was like, nah, we're not rebooting this. Yeah, I, that's that's the possible possibilities. Either maybe maybe Sinister waited too long now, and now the progenitors noticed. Like he's reset during Judgment Day in the past, but not this late into it. And maybe now the progenitors stepped in and changed it up. Or yeah. maybe it's a Sinister clone. I don't know if it's one of his own homegrown Sinister clones. If it's one of the other suits of the deck, we know the the, the club, the the spade, the heart are out there. 
Or if it's, we know Destiny knows something's it up with him. Anyone. So maybe, yeah, Destiny, maybe Destiny and Mystique are, are yeah. screwing with him too. Yeah. Clearly, this is set up for us to find out something about this later. I hope they can't leave this dangling. I gotta know. Yeah, this would be sad if this was just a throwaway scene because it is interesting, right? It's like, who knows about this? It is. It's a fascinating little little dangling plot line that I, I want to know more about. So from here, we get to see, again, the resurrection of Steve Rogers, which we saw at Judgment Day number five. We get a little more back and forth between Hope and Exodus, uh, where Hope says, she plays the Messiah card, right? I'm your Messiah. Have some damn faith in me. And of, yep. of course, Exodus is going to listen because yep. just like Logan sees a damsel in distress, he's got to do whatever. And Exodus sees Hope you know, saying, I'm your Messiah. Do what I say. He's going to do whatever she says. And we get a uh, a very naked uh, Captain America with a, a nicely placed shield with a shadow. Said, now we know why he has the shield when he exited the egg. <laughs> so <the laughs> right. could we cover we don't want to have another, uh, you know, bat wang incident. No one wants it. I mean, I'm sure someone wants to see Cap Wang. Yeah. I don't want to see Cap Wang. So a nice, a nice shadow just in the right spot. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. To, uh, this is hilarious. I mean, now that we see this, I mean, it, it still works, right? But, you know, they brought him a shield, but they didn't bother to bring him close. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, just hold this in front of yourself. Yeah. So we've got that taken care of. And of course, he says, what now? Because he's he's Captain America and he's going to be part of the solution too. So we've got more pieces coming into place. We're kind of starting to see where the end of this might be coming from. We've got our strike force inside the progenitor. We've got our team of Exodus and Sign the Mimator out there. We've got Captain America saying, what now? And we're going to have one other little, little, uh, little, part of this here because we have this final and I think most amazing scene of this really good book yep. back to a, a, a Kurt point of view, back to Nightcrawler. And in a clear reference to the events of Inferno Number no. 1, Kurt attacks the Orcus Forge over and over and over yep. again. Yep. But it's different this time because back then they made a point of saying, hey, from the point of view of mistakes, yeah. they don't learn anything, right? They're, they're making the same mistakes. They're not, whatever they're learning, on whatever they're seeing on one attack, they're not implementing their next attack. But here, because he's being backed up continuously, he attacks, he gets killed, he gets resurrected, but he's being backed up all the time. So he's dying over and over and over again to try to achieve this goal of, of getting to Moira. That's his goal. Yeah, and this is pretty wild. Just I would love to see this in like a video format, right? Because they're learning and he's learning. It must be really weird to them. Oh yeah, that that would be amazing. I mean, this this story is never going to be like a Disney Plus TV show, but yeah, this scene would be awesome if it was done done well. And I love the the Exodus comments here, where you know Exodus, this this man of faith who believes in a Messiah, and he says. Uh, a martyr needs to die but once to follow the holy path. What you're doing is, and it just trails off because he's remembering it every time. So Kurt, to achieve his goal, is martyring himself over and over and over again. And we had in Legion of X pretty early on, he was quite, or maybe it was Way, where he was like basically saying, you know, all these mutants that just throw away their life so cheaply is not good, right? True. And that is part of the spark, this. right. And he is, well, he's he's not throwing his, his life away cheaply. It's not like, oh, yeah. whoever that character was who just went up in front of the Orcus person with a gun and said, you know, kill me because I want to pop my resurrection, Sherry. He's doing it for a purpose that no one else can do to 
make something happen that needs to be done to save other people. So it takes those those many strands from all over this Rakoan era. The the many this is the many lives of Moira in a different form. This is the attacks from Inferno number one in a different form. And it's it's Kurt's views on resurrection, all brought together in one beautiful little little moment. And he eventually does you know, get close enough to Nimrod to kind of disable him a bit and then gets a hold of Moira and does some shenanigans with fake technology and points out that she is more scared of true death than anyone I've ever met. And that's a great line because Moira's lived, from her point of view, I don't know, a thousand years, something like that. And until recently, she thought she couldn't possibly truly die. That, oh, if I die, I just, you know, start over, the whole universe starts over. So she's been alive for a super long time. And, and this, does, this does a good job of giving us more of a explanation for her heel turn, right? Like why she suddenly just became a baddie. It does. Yeah. It, it, it show, that. Once, she, once she thinks she's at risk of dying, she kind of starts acting irrationally and being a little more neurotic, right? So yeah, now, so he gets her out of the Orcus uh, Forge right before the progenitor blows it up, which gives him some leverage to say, hey, look, sweetie, you got to be on our side now. I know, I know you don't want to be on our side. We, we don't get along so well these days, but the world is ending. Your, your whole team is dead now. The only way you can go back to trying to kill us is if we get together and she will be their AI specialist because she is an AI. Yep. And that works. I'll, yep. I'll buy that. So she can- And they've got Nimrod too, who's also- very highly advanced guy. Yeah, he's in the he's in the back of the shuttle. Wow, wow, that's I I didn't notice that. That's great. Yeah, he's still kind of putting himself back together. Uh, yeah, so we've got the two of them, and they're going to be the AI team to kind of help the machine that is Earth now that it's been rebooted resist this some more. So that's our final piece, I think, in putting together something that can beat this unstoppable celestial. So yeah, this this was a hell of a story. It's it's complicated, but all the pieces tie together and have these resonances with the best parts of the Krakoan era. So. Yeah, and they answered a lot of our questions about what the heck was going on in some of these scenes of the event. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm going to say this is a nine for me. I was really happy reading this that's, issue. That's what I've written down, nine out of ten. This is one of the one of the best books I've read this year, bar none, you know, of, of all Marvel, all DC, all everything. Again, it's not a book that can function on its own. This is not a one-shot. You can hand us something and say, here, here, this is why Krakoa is great. This is why Axe is great. But as a culmination of literally years and dozens, hundreds of books, bringing it all together, fantastic job, Kieran Gillen. <sighs> so that is not our last book to talk about today. It is it is the best book we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think you can top that. That no. was tough. But we do have one more Kieran Gillen book to talk about. And this is Axe Eternals number one. Uh, this is the last part of our trio of what we're told are story essential one-shots one of our strike force inside the progenitor. And it's it's not essential. No, I liked it a lot better. Fortunately, I read this before I read Immortal. But yeah, it's not essential in any sort of way. Yeah, it, it's, it doesn't really even wrap up their story. Just like I complained about with Iron Fist being a tie-in we were hoping would actually wrap something up. Yeah. It doesn't. And we're going to talk about this pretty quickly because all that happens is they're still in Celestial. We get Ajax having a vision. She was the most loyal and faithful of priests. She gets to talk to Progenitor. Uh, she's under suspended judgment, right? Back in Death of Newton's number two, just the previous issue, uh, well, not previous issue, but you know, a month ago, uh, we were told, hey, we're not going to judge you yet. And her judgment here is in the form of having to confront and kill 
all the creatures who died in order to resurrect her through her thousands of years of life. And, that's and I, of I felt like that was pretty intense, right? So not an essential story point, but I was kind of like, whoa, that's pretty rough. We, we do learn about her character. She, yeah, it tells you a lot about her faith, right? She's so committed to what she believes is the right path that she has no problem just killing however many people she's killed you know, over the years leading to this point. Mm-hmm. In the first two issues, we saw uh, Jean Grey and we saw, uh, who was the Avenger? Oh, Iron, Iron Man, Man, of course. Yeah. And those felt like retreads of characters, character points that we've seen a million times. But yeah. this is Ajax, right? Yeah. She's much, much lower on the list of characters. So it's more original here because she hasn't been done to death. Yeah. So I think that helps. So we meet the first creature who died to resurrect her is Kataka, a deviant, which that's kind of interesting. We did hear of his existence back in uh, the Eternal Celestial one-shot, where uh, the BC Avengers kill Cersei and we're told, quote, elsewhere on Earth, an unfortunate deviant falls dead, not knowing why. So I guess before humans existed, the resurrection engines consumed deviant lives to remake Eternals? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, because... Now we're told it's always humans. I don't know if the machine can choose or how that works. I don't yeah, think we're going to find out. Life, a non-eternal life on Earth. Yes, but exactly who counts and who doesn't. It's kind of interesting, but we could probably pass over that. Uh, the next up is Vart, an actual early human. And I, I love this one panel. This was a wonderful panel because Jim and I have complained before, or at least I have, that one million BC, the Avengers are around, and there's humans, and there shouldn't be humans around at one million BC, right? They just they just didn't exist yet. Yeah. So Vart tries to tell the story. Vart's going to clear this up for us. Jason Aaron doesn't know what's going on. Vart does. <laughs> Vart says, "Hey, you do you know why humans were existent around one million BC? Interesting story. Apparently, my grandmother was part of a group that fell to a coronal rift, which." And then he's dead. Yeah. I, I don't laughed get about he, that. She's that was care. so great. He's like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Which I will take that. I will always remember that explanation for why there are people around. Do I need to know the details? I do not. But yeah, just, just that some writer, somebody at Marvel said, hey, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to throw in one panel to make it make sense. Good work, Kieran Gillen. That gets like an extra point for me in the score here. Yeah. Yeah. So she does get to the progenitor, gets kind of a... Uh, the same kind of philosophical argument we've had a bunch of times. This was not so satisfying to me. Uh, they do mention how Ajax beat up the ghost of the former progenitor, which was a nice little callback to like Eternals, I don't know, 10 or 11, when the Eternals snuck in Avengers Mountain. That was all right. Yeah. But we do find out that the progenitor doesn't quite judge her. It's about to judge her, but still doesn't judge her. And the progenitor tells her, okay, I'm going to put your first protocol, protect Celestials, turn that back on, right? They turned the uh, mutants had turned that off, probably Jean Grey, so that yeah. she could, Ajax could oppose the progenitor, turn back on. But it says there will be a final conflict. I mean, there always is. There's another issue coming. And we hear that in that conflict, Ajax will have, quote, true freedom. Yep. What that means uh, remains to be seen. But that is like the only key point from this whole three-issue series of one-shots that will probably play out going forward. Because now we're back in the, quote, real-world part of the progenitor, and they need to take one last leap of faith, literally a leap of faith down a hole. Yes, I, I got that, Karen Gillen, got your symbolism there. Uh, that's going to lead to, we think, that magic blow up the celestial button 
And do we see them get to that button here in this Story Essential miniseries? We do not. To be continued in Judgment Day number six, uh, two weeks from now. So I think this is probably the best of the three, but this whole miniseries could have been, it could have been a one shot. It could have been a couple of pages, a scene in Judgment Day number six. Yeah. If you read Judgment Day number five and then Judgment Day number six, I don't think you're going to miss much. You saw the strike force go in, you knew they were having some conflicts, and then you'll see them kind of arrive at the self-destruct button, I imagine. Yeah. And the only thing you might miss is if that Ajax having true freedom thing turns out to be a major plot point, which it yeah. might or it might it not. It probably will, but seen. they'll probably they'll probably even have like a panel that shows that happening again. Or uh, yeah, maybe an editor's note, probably more like an actual panel. So that is the, oh, oh we got to give that a score, right? What do you want? What score do you want to give this last yeah. time? Man, um, I'm probably like six eight. That is exactly what I have written down. Six point eight, <laughs> which is the highest. I went back and, and checked what I gave the uh, the the other uh, one shots, and I this is the highest of that because just her her vision was the most interesting. The little bits about uh, the the creatures who died to resurrect her reinforces the themes of this whole series. Tells us more about the Marvel universe, and and that's worth that's worth giving this a six point eight. And it gives you more of a perspective on this character, right? Fleshing out the different Eternals, making them feel distinct. I, I appreciated that. And that is the last book we're going to talk about this week. Now, it was not the only; these were not the only Axe books that came out this week. This was a huge book, a flood. But we're going to save some of these for next week. So next week we'll do X Force number thirty one and number thirty two. I mean, presuming it, we actually do have a second issue next week and only one week. Uh, that's what Amazon says is going to happen. Uh, Legion of X comes out, or already came out. We'll talk about that. That'll be about David Haller. Captain Marvel number 42, another tie-in. Fantastic Four number 48, the end of that tie-in. And also next week, X-Men number 16 is coming out. Now, I think, Ruben, you're probably looking forward to, to that book more than anything else next week. I don't even think that that is uh, Judgment Day related, but it is not. I am definitely ready to see more of the Children of the Vault. So we will we'll talk about that at least a little bit next week. See what's going on with uh, our man Forge going there into the into the vault and, and seeing what happens. So that is all we have to say for this week. We are almost done with this event. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited. I mean, next week I'm not super excited for next week, but I'm very excited for the following week when we get our Judgment Day number six. Because I want to see what happens. happens. Yeah. And I and I've been satisfied with this event all the way through. It's there are maybe some moments that felt a little bit like it was dragging its feet, but overall this has been one of the better events I've read in the last two years. I would agree. And it it feels really good to be so deeply in the middle of it and and thinking about how it all ties together. It's it's a, a different experience to read an event week to week like this than to look back on even like a classic one like Civil War, because once it's all out there. You can wonder what's going to happen next, but you can just go and look it up. It, yeah. For me, the fun is these discussions of, oh, does that matter? Is that important? Is that how it's going to work? These, these speculations yeah. where you can talk to folks and wonder, can, what can you come up with? This, that's what I really love about these week-to-week, month-to-month comic reading experience. Yep. Well, I hope you listeners have enjoyed this as well. If you have any thoughts or any ideas of what might happen next or what you'd like us to do with this podcast going forward, again, hit us up on Twitter at WSMarvel or just go to WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com and see what we have on offer there. And we will talk to you all next week.